Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Peter chapter 5 verse 1 let's pray before we get into it father we thank you we thank you for uh, this day that you have given us god we thank you that your mercies are new every single day and that your promises each and every day are yes and amen god i pray that as we read your word that it will come alive to us god that it would be a breath of fresh air to us that it will challenge us inspire us and motivate us to become more like you. God, help us to not just be hearers of your word, but to um, actually be people who do your word, who apply what we learn and uh, put what we learn into practice, because that is where true life change happens. And so uh, help us to hear your voice this morning as we read your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Okay. First Peter chapter five, verse one. I'm reading in the NIV version, and it says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that we that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and sober mind and of a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the, that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Verse 10, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever amen verse 12 with the help of silas whom i regard as a faithful brother i have written to you briefly encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of god stand fast in it she who is in babylon 
chosen together with you sends your sends you her greetings and so does my son mark greet one another with a kiss of love peace to all of you who are in christ amen amen and amen all right i want to see it in the chat what verses stuck out to you the most what verses stuck out to you the most i see deb put on here god shows undeserved kindness to everyone god uh, will make you complete, steady, strong, and firm. That's good. Verse six, humble yourselves, therefore, under the God's mighty hand, and that um, that he may lift you up in the due time, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Those are all great stuff. Continue to put them in there. Put that put in the chat what stuck out to you. Okay, uh, chapter five is the uh, finale, the, uh, the final salutation the goodbye of the letter right and you know that it's often in the final words where people kind of summarize what they're trying to say and kind of uh, emphasize what's important to them right and so peter in the book of first peter this letter to the church um is no different and we have to look at this letter and everything that we read right context is key when you're reading the bible so the context of first peter is first uh, Peter is Peter writing to a suffering church that is a persecuted church in Asia Minor. It's written to encourage the church in the middle of their suffering, right? To know and believe that in Christ, there is hope in the midst of their suffering. Uh, the emperor at the time of that was ruling over the empire of Rome was a very wicked em emperor. I mean, this guy would light people on fire just to light up his parties, right? He would feed Christians to dogs. It was said that he one time lit up Rome, lit Rome, set Rome on fire. And in order to uh, save himself from scrutiny, he blamed Christians. And so there was this heavy persecution towards Christians. People didn't like the Christians and they persecuted and mistreated them. And so this book, this letter was written by Peter to, to teach them how to suffer well, like how to live this thing out. Um, and it's interesting because this letter was written by Peter, and we know that Peter was a hothead, right? Like, Peter was the one with a mouth. Peter was the guy that was ready to pop off. Peter was the one who cut the soldier's ear off with a sword that Jesus had to tell to drop the sword because uh, he said those who live by it will also die by it. So here's this guy who would typically in his flesh, right, uh, fight, defend, uh, be aggressive, be the first one to speak out. But in this letter, we see the transformation that has happened in Peter, where now he's telling them to be humble, uh, to live as Christ lived, to take on the attitude of Christ. And it just goes to speak of the sanctification process or the process of change and transformation that should happen in the life of a believer as they pro they progress in their journey and their walk and their faith with God. And so in the first four chapters, Peter addresses the church and, and, um, and the way that they should live in the midst of suffering. He talks about knowing the identity we now have in Christ. He talks about how to suffer as a witness to Jesus. He talks about how to suffer well because we have this future hope of eternal salvation in Christ. 
And so chapter five, we see Peter transition into encouraging the leaders of the church by teaching them how to care for the suffering church. And in verse one, it says to the elders among you, I appeal as fellow elder, as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. And so Peter's just simply saying, hey, as someone that can relate to you as a leader, as an elder, as a pastor in the church myself, I want to encourage you to shepherd God's people well, to care for them, to watch over them, to feed them, to serve them. Not because you must, as he says in verse uh, uh, verse two, he says, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, right? Not because you must, but because you are willing. And I would just say that a leader's heart is a willing heart. A leader is willing to serve. A leader is willing to love. A leader is willing to watch over God's people. Uh, and being a leader and an elder of the church, if you're going to shepherd this suffering church, and we know that the suffering for the church has not ended. We may not suffer in the same way. We know that there's drastic suffering in places like the China, like China. A church, the church of China goes through immense uh, persecution. The church in the Middle East goes through immense persecution. We don't oftentimes understand and grasp what persecution really is. But even now in our days, right? Like we're, we're going through all kinds of things that our culture changes that our cultures are going through things that they want to teach in school and whatnot. And we have to learn not only how to, uh, how to live through all of this, how to live through persecution, how to live through uh, through um, slander, how to live through in a world that doesn't accept our teachings or our beliefs. And elders, leaders, pastors have to also learn how to lead the church through that. And it, as an elder to church, it is important that we examine our hearts, right? That we examine our hearts as, an, as a leader in the church. It's important that we examine our hearts because leaders serve and lead with a willing heart. That's why he says, uh, be shepherds of God's flock in verse two, that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must be, not because you must, not out of obligation, not because it's something that you have to do, but because you are willing, it says, as God wants you to be. So the first thing we should do as leaders is we should examine our heart. Are we serving from a willing heart? Am I serving from a place of willingness or am I serving from a place of obligation? Am I leading? Am I shepherding? Am I caring for people? Am I loving people, right? Am I discipling people from a place of obligation or am I discipling, leading, loving, serving, shepherding from a place of willingness, right? The second thing is, are we serving to be served? Are we serving out of what we can gain from serving? Are we leading from what we can gain from it? Or are we leading from a place of serving? I've often said 
as I've had conversations with people and as I'm discipling people that when it comes to leadership in the church, right? Leaders are servants and servants are leaders. Leaders who lead serve, serve servants who serve lead, right? Uh, like leaders serve servants lead. That's, that's how we should have this mindset of we lead by serving. And we learn that from Jesus himself, because Jesus always led from a place of servanthood. Jesus never led from a place of what he could gain from it. That's why P Peter said uh, in verse two, where he continues, said, because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing this honest gain, not serving or leading or shepherding the people from what you could gain from them but serving from a place of a servant of a servant's heart, right? Jesus himself said, I did not come to serve or to be served, but to serve, right? I did not come to be served, but to serve. And so Peter says, hey, if you're going to lead the church well, you're going to have to lead first and foremost from a willing heart. You're going to have to lead, secondly, from a place of a servant's heart, not just from what you could gain from it. But you have to be eager to serve as Christ was eager to serve, right? In verse 3, he says, not lording it, lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Meaning not leading from a place of pride where you're expecting people to serve you and to honor you and respect you and you're lording your, your responsibility, you're, lo you're lording your position, you're lording you're calling over them, but you're serving them as Christ served them, being an example of how they must serve, right? So he says, being an example to the flock. And then it says, and when the chief shepherd, is, shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In other words, you do not serve from a place of dishonest gain, you do not serve from a place of obligation. You serve from a place of willingness. You do not serve by lording over people because you know that your reward is not a reward that you get here on earth, but one that you receive from the chief shepherd. We are under shepherds of the chief shepherd who will crown you in glory, in a glory that will never, ever fade. So our reward is not here on earth. It is in heaven. And then Peter makes this transition in verse five, where he says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Now, this is key because now Peter begins to make a transition here that we are to serve one another well, that we are to serve one another with humility that we are not to be prideful and arrogant, right? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. We are one people, united, serving one another. I was sharing with the worship team yesterday, right? Uh, the greatest commandment that Jesus said is to love his God with all your heart, love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself, meaning that you cannot love God without loving people, and you cannot love people without loving God. The two go hand in hand.
And in the same way that Christ humbled himself, left all of his glory, left all of his majesty, left all of his strength, all everything, all of his power, he left his throne to come to earth and humble himself and serve with humility. We also must clothe ourselves in humility when dealing with one another, when interacting with one another, especially hear this because Peter also in this context is speaking not just about how we associate with those in our church, but he talks about those who have been placed in authority and honoring and serving and responding in humility to those that we do not do not agree with, with those who are in authority and power that we do not agree with. And so the serve the heart of a leader, the heart of a servant, the heart of a disciple is a humble heart, is a heart that leads with humility. Right. So he says in verse five, in the same way, you who are younger, especially those who are younger in the faith. We need to trust our leaders, trust those who have been placed above us. Submit yourselves to your elders. Submit yourselves to your pastors. Submit yourselves to your leaders. All of you, and this now he's talking about all of you, meaning both elders and those who are younger in the faith, serving, right? Elders and members, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Let me tell you something. When you operate from a place of pride, it does not go well for you. When you operate from a place of pride, and that's something that we could, that's something that we could apply in every single aspect of our lives. When you function from a place of pride in your marriage, it will not go well in your marriage. When you function from a place of pride in your employment, it will not go well in your employment. When you function from a place of pride serving in the church between the church uh, members and the elders and the elders and the members, it will not go well for you. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. The more low you are, the more favorable you become. The more you lower yourself, and that's what Peter is teaching his church, the, the church right now, because he says, it continues in verse six, humble yourselves, therefore, under the God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. As you humble yourself, as you make yourself less in God's due time, he will get, grant you favor and he will lift you up in due time. So when you're at work and you're frustrated and you want to lash out, humble yourself. And in due time, God will lift you up, right? When you're in a marriage and you want to pop off on your spouse, humble yourself. And in due time, he will lift you up, right? Before he says, verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I love this verse, this, this verse because the implication here is that because he cares for you, he will take care of you. That's why we have no reason uh, to be anxious about anything. 
That's why he says, cast all of your anxiety, all of your cares in the midst of this suffering world, in the midst of all your persecution, in the midst of all your suffering, in the midst of all your struggles, in the midst of all your situation, trust and believe that God cares for you. And because he cares for you, he will take care of you. Because he cares for you, he will take care of you. Verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I love this because what Peter is doing now is he's making the distinction that the struggle that we have in our lives, the struggle that they're facing in the church is not one that is of flesh and blood, right? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, strongholds, uh, the spiritual forces that are in the air, right? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So Peter's making the distinction, hey, this is not about the emperor. This is not about the culture. This is not about the people. This is a spiritual battle. You need to know that the enemy is roaming around like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. This is a spiritual battle, not a physical one. This is a spiritual battle, not a natural one, right? You're not wrestling against flesh and blood. There's an enemy. There's a real enemy out there. His name is Satan, and he's looking to trip you up. He's looking to mess you up. He's looking to consume you. He's looking to devour you. He's looking to to cause a break in your relationship with God. He's looking to cause you to doubt. He's looking to cause you to get frustrated. He's looking to cause you to get discouraged. He's looking to cause you to get hopeless. He's looking to cause you to lose your faith. He's looking to cause you to lose your focus off of God and Jesus himself. The enemy is walking around. That's why you have to be alert and you have to be of sober mind. You can't be going off of your feelings, off of your emotions, ready to pop off at every second. You have to be sober minded. You have to be alert. And how are we alert? When we live a life of prayer, when we are fa- when we are fasting, when we're praying, when we're worshiping, we have a relationship with God. We're looking at the things from a place of the spirit, right? With spiritual eyes. And we're not looking with our natural carnal eyes. We're looking from a spiritual perspective, we're able to see things soberly and rather to react in our our flesh, we're able to respond in our spirit and be sober-minded because we understand that our enemy is not people. Our enemy is not our person. Our enemy is not our spouse. Our enemy is not our teachers. Our enemy is not our managers, our co-workers, supervisors, boss, pastors, members, team members. That, that, that is not the enemy. The enemy is Satan, and he has a mission. And his mission is to devour, to devour us, to consume us. But if we are alert and we are of sober mind, then we can do what verse 9 says, which is resist him. Standing firm in the faith, right? Resist the enemy by standing firm in faithfulness. Resist the enemy by standing firm in our belief and our faith in God and our trust in God in the word and what the word teaches us. Why? He says, because you know that the family of believers, the family of believers, 
<coughs> excuse me, a family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Meaning, hey, you can be encouraged because you know and understand that you are not alone in this. This is not a battle that you're fighting by yourself. There are others who are fighting the same battle and they're fighting the same battle alongside of you. There are others who have struggles just like you do. You are not alone. The worst thing that the enemy can do to you is to get you to believe that you're the only one going through this, that you're the only one struggling, that you're the only one suffering, that you're, because if you feel like you're the only one, you feel isolated, you feel alone, you feel discouraged all by yourself. But when you understand that there is a family of believers who are going through the same kind of suffering with you, right? Then you realize that you are not alone. Then you realize, and that's why it's important to get into connect groups, man. Because when you get into connect groups and you link arms with people who are struggling and suffering too, then all of a sudden the strength rises up because now I'm not going through things by myself. Now I'm not suffering by myself, right? I can link arms with Nicole Benowitz and I can link arms with Tara Woodman. And I could link arms with Doug Overby and I could link arms with Pop and Pop can look at me and say, hey, I'm going through this struggle. And I can look at Pop and say, Pop, I'm going through this struggle and we can pray for one another. We can encourage one another. We can strengthen one another. We can fight for one another. That's why the Bible says one person who falls by himself is, is jacked up. But when two people are standing back to back, they can defend each other's back. When three people get together, it's an un it's an unbreakable bond. It's an unbreakable cord, right? Three cords are stronger than one. And so we need to be encouraged that we are not alone. First and foremost, because Christ is with us, right? And Christ has suffered. And Peter talked about that. But secondly, because we also understand that there are other, there's a family of believers who go through the same struggles, who are struggling in the same way, and we can fight with each other, fight for one another, and resist the enemy by standing firm in faithfulness. Amen? And in verse 11, he says, to him, oh, I'm sorry, verse 10, and the God of all grace who called you to this eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, uh, firm, and steadfast. God will restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. I'd like to actually read that in the New Living Translation because I like the way that uh, that that it's translated in the New Living Translation. It says, "In this kindness, God called you to share in His eternal glory by means of Christ." Uh, so after, so after you have suffered a little while, he will restore you. He will support you and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. I love that. He will restore you. He will support you and strengthen you. He will restore you, support you and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. So I played that song at the, at the beginning, because listen to me, if you're going to make it through, and this is the whole point Peter is making, you are not going to make it through on your own. 
if you're going to make it through is because you are standing firm on the firm foundation that God provides is because you're standing firm in a faith and trust in a God that not can, but will restore, will support, and will strengthen you and will place you on a firm foundation. God will get you through it. That's why Peter encourages the church. Hey, I want you guys to suffer well because you have all of the resources. You have the God of the universe, the God who created you, the God who called you, the God who uh, called you a chosen people, a royal priesthood, right? Back in first Peter chapter one, right? Because he has given you identity. The same God who has given you a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. He's given you an identity. He's given you a purpose. He's called you into glory. He's coming back to save you. He is the God who will restore you, will support you and strengthen you and will place you on a firm foundation. Verse 11, all power to him forever. Amen. And then he continues to close his letter. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Stand fast in it. I like the way the New uh, Living Translation says, my purpose in writing in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Do you ever think about that? That maybe what you're going through, the situation you find yourself in, the, the, the struggle you might be facing might actually be God's grace for you. That the thing that you're praying God will change, God will take that deliver you from, that God will uh, will wipe away might be the way God is actually demonstrating his grace to you, right? I love that that Peter says that. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and to assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace. And I love that, to assure you. I want to assure you that you are not in this alone. I want to assure you that God has not forgotten about you. I want to assure you that God has not left you, right? That he has not forsaken you, that he has not abandoned you, but instead it is truly part of God's grace for you. So stand firm in that grace. Stand firm in this grace, he says. Your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet each other with a kiss of love. Peace be with all of you who are in Christ Jesus. And that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer that you would receive peace in Christ Jesus, no matter what situation you find yourself in, no, ma no matter what the circumstances may present. Understand that whatever situation you find yourself in, God's grace is with you. His presence is with you. His power is with you. His strength is with you. He will restore you. He will support you. He will strengthen you. He will place you. But we need to understand that just because we are suffering does not give us a reason to not live in the right way. I think that's the best thing that we could possibly take from this. Just because we are suffering or struggling, 
does not give us the reason to lose faith, to doubt, to live uh, in frustration or anything of that. Instead, we're to be sober-minded, be alert, be humble, serve one another, lead well, as Peter said. And in all these things, we do so, resisting the enemy, resisting the enemy, because the battles that we face are not flesh and blood, but they are spiritual. Amen? Amen. I like to do something a little bit different and end a little differently. Is there anything that I can pray for you specifically? Anything that I can pray for you specifically before we go? I'd like to see it in the chat. If you want to leave it in the chat, if not, then we will close out. Bring home my children. Homeless women in Shauna. Sleep. All right, let's pray. Mother's health. God, right now, I want to pray uh, for the your children, for Youth Enlightenment Center. For God, you know their names. You know, uh, you know all things, God. Uh, what I love about you, God, is that we do not, uh, we we do not have to believe and that we are alone in any situation, and that anything is God. God, nothing happens to you uh, that is a surprise. You know all things, and so God, uh, you know these children's hearts. You know their children, these children's name. God, I pray that you would bring the children home uh, right now in Jesus' name. That wherever they at, they would feel your presence. And they would uh, hear you calling them back. And God, you can work out every situation. I don't know exactly what the situation is, but you do. God, I pray for the homeless woman of Shauna. Father, I pray that you would allow those women to feel your love, that you would reveal yourself to, to them. God, I pray that you would send those workers who will labor in that task. God, I pray for Tara, who's praying for sleep. Uh, God, I pray that you would give her rest, Lord. Uh, because we know that we find rest in you. I pray for Flo's mother's health, God. You are the God who heals. You are the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so we pray healing over her mother's life, God. The same healing that was provided for the woman who touched your garment. The same healing that was provided for the blind man who could see. The same healing that was provided for the mute who would speak, God. I pray for the healing, God. Your word says that by your stripes, we have been healed. God, I pray for Mike, who's praying for patience, God. Uh, Lord, that is such a, in this world where things are coming at us and we get easily frustrated. God, I pray for patience that you give him a gentle spirit, a spirit as we, as you, we just learned about God, that is humble, that we, that he be clothed in humility and patient. God, I pray for uh, severe people who are going through severe financial struggles. God, I pray that you would be the Jehovah Jireh in their lives and provide in each and every area of their life financially, provide for their marriage, provide in their homes, provide for their children. God, you are the God who provides for us. You are the God. The Bible says that we have a good God who gives us everything that we need. And so you are the one who provides for us and you will continue to do so. God, I pray for uh, my stepdaughter Sharon's cancer to be healed. God, we pray for Sharon's cancer to be healed, God. In the name of Jesus, Father, we declare and pray healing into Sharon's body right now. And we declare that cancer has no 
place in her, God. You rule over cancer, God, and you are the God who heals. And so we believe it. We trust it. We're praying for an incredible testimony to come out of this, and we can't wait to hear of it, God. We pray um, for Kristen to overcome worry and doubt and to be anxiety-free, God. Your word says that we don't have to be anxious for anything, but we could come before you in prayer and thanksgiving and supplication and know that the peace that surpasses all understanding, God, you grant it to us and it comes from only you. And so, God, we present all these prayers for you. And I just pray for each and every person that is on here right now. God, I pray that you would bless them, that they would find favor in you. God, that wherever they are, that you would get, grant them favor and uh, that you would grant them peace. God, that you know the struggles that each and every person is going through, God. And Father, we just pray that we would stand firm in you as we have learned to do so, God. And we just pray all these things in mighty, in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen and amen.